Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I'm Leo Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. And welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Want to thank all of you who check out all the episodes every single week. Uh, always love hearing from you in the comments section. Tell me where you're listening from, questions, things you liked about the interview. Keep those coming. I'll keep reading and replying as often as possible. And if you're you're not a subscriber and you want to follow along, if this is your kind of thing, you like hearing about uh, your favorite musicians, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And of course, you can find us at any of the major hotspots like Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just type in Kyle Meredith with. We'll deliver new interviews to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday so you can keep up with your favorite artists and discover new ones and know what's happening in the music world. I'm Kyle Meredith, and today I'm going to be talking with Mark Duplass. Now, of course, you know Mark Duplass as a great actor in some of our favorite series, as a director, as a filmmaker. Did you know that Mark Duplass is also a musician and was in a band signed to one of the uh, the greatest indie labels of all the time, Polyvinyl Records? Yeah, in the early 2000s, Mark fronted the group Volcano I'm Still Excited. Now, this was a band around the uh, the dawning of the blog era, and, and they were sort of a 
part of that, but never really got their due, mostly to the fact that just as they were started starting to take off, Mark decided uh, to dive right in on the film and go whole hog uh, making movies and everything. So he, so he put the he put it all in the background, but now Polyvinyl is releasing one of their records. In fact, uh, not only do you get the original songs, but also a lot of stuff that's uh, either been impossible to find through the years, like B-sides or some unreleased demo stuff. So Mark and I are going to go back in the history books and, and talk about all of this, making the choice to leave it all behind, uh, being influenced by some great acts like Spoon, Gotta Buy Voices, Death Cab for Cutie, as well as like Sean Colvin and Elliot Smith. And, and switching to the keyboards, Volcano, I'm still excited. The thing that I guess was their hook was they weren't a guitar-fronted band, as so many were in that uh, garage rock revival period of the early 2000s. But instead, uh, Mark was playing keyboards a lot. Uh, I want to know how that changed his songwriting coming from guitar himself, being, uh, as he says, an overly earnest singer-songwriter in the 90s. Uh, but then taking this group to the level of success they did. They did uh, chart on college radio on the CMJ charts, which was a very big deal back then. And coming from uh, the classical world, he'd, he'd gone to music school, how he applied his classical knowledge to write indie rock. And we'll kind of dream about what a follow-up might have sounded like had the band continued. Now, Mark will also tell us that... Uh, he, you know, all of this uh, history, it wasn't for nothing. He's actually used a lot of what he learned during this indie rock time to apply to his film career. And he's going to tell us about how exactly that's happened and, and the details on what that means. Uh, and especially here in the present, he's still involved with music in, in little ways. You know, one of his uh, most recent shows been on HBO season four, premiering in July is called Room 104, which he wrote five songs for one episode with uh, Mark Kozlek of Sun Kill Moon in mind. It, it's really interesting. And of course, I'm going to ask about another one of his musical buddies, John Lejoie from The League. The League was uh, definitely the first time uh, I became aware of uh, Mark Duplass back in the 2000s. And, uh, and John, who played Taco on The League, has had his own music career. So could there ever be a collaboration on that front as well? Well, it's actually possible. And Mark's going to tell us about that as well. So let's jump into this. It's Kyle Meredith with Mark Duplass. Oh, well, well, first off, this is really, really fun because obviously we've all come to know you as filmmaker, as actor, as director and everything. But uh, you, you have this shady past as a musician that maybe has always sort of been hinted at. But now we're getting uh, the full story once again for, for those of us who wasn't privy to it the first time around. Uh, you were in a band, Volcano. I'm still excited. And this was in the early 2000s to what, 2004? Yeah, about 2004 is when uh, is when things went south from there. So, <laughs> <laughs> Although, as I read, you know, it, it has been fun to hear you talk about this because, and I even think in one interview you used kind of this sliding doors uh, reference there too because it, it wasn't like the usual band story where everybody falls out and you know it's just going horrible like like this was sort of a choice you made right it, it was yes uh, when bands normally implode I think it implies that um, the success changed them and we didn't achieve that level of success so <laughs> so we're we were fine um, what it was for me honestly was um you know, I was like 26 or maybe 27 at the time, and I was starting to develop my filmmaking career with my brother. I was really close with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and and I was just starting to feel like this this lifestyle of like splitting 137 dollars a night between three stinky dudes in a van might destroy me uh, and might not allow me to do a lot of the things I want to do. And, and filmmaking was 
was offering me that to to a large extent and so it was it was a choice to kind of uh leave that behind and it was ultimately i think a really good choice but i um as you mentioned like mo is dropping little subtle maybe slightly desperate hints at my past so that people will uh recognize it and <laughs> and and it is because there is a little part of me that that is still there and 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 so now we do get to relive that with this with this proper release or re-release, if you want to call it that, of, of the Volcano I'm Still Excited album. So so now that it's out there, now that you've really had to spend time with this, has that experience been notable? Has it been, you know, uh, I mean, what's it been like to really have to dive back into that part for you? Well, it's super fun, you know, because I have this thing where um, I love reading novelists first novels like if you, if i read somebody's book and it's like their fifth book and i'm like oh i gotta read their first book because i see who they are now but i want to see where they came from and i want to see what they were like when they were still figuring themselves out warts and all and when you listen to the carbon copy ep you can hear us creating volcano i'm still excited while we're recording it and we're still figuring ourselves out and um there's a folly and an idiocy to it that i just really really love and I think that, you know, sharing that with the world can be like a, a kind of a vulnerable thing for some people where it's like, oh, I'd rather show them my best stuff. And and this one is kind of like a, a hodgepodge collage of who I was as an artist when I was 23, 24 years old, trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to be. And you'll hear all these things in there. You'll be like, oh, I know who's listening to Spoon there. Oh, there's the guided by voices. There's the magnetic fields. There's the death cab. You know, um, you'll hear all that on the record before it ultimately it did coalesce on our on our self-titled record we did for polyvinyl but this one is really kind of the the naked baby photos <laughs> as a ben folds five reference there maybe if you know that yes right. yeah, it, okay. it, it absolutely is <laughs> i love that record yeah that's uh that's a deep reference actually for ben folds five yeah. that's a it's a b-sides thing uh it's interesting that you name those bands too spooning and, and uh, gotta buy voices death cab Aside maybe from from Gotta Buy Voices, you know, Death Cab and, and Spoon were very much of the same time as this. And I, mm-hmm. I started thinking about, you know, and a lot of songwriters, they're writing their, their music and everything. And, and you had been doing it for a little while. But but you can hear most of the time you can hear the coming of age artists for that mm-hmm. musician. And I'm guessing for you, like your coming of age years would have been what, like 91, 92, something around there for music? Yeah. So, you know, I was born in uh, at the end of 76. So um, I had a really interesting like career trajectory. Like I grew up in New Orleans in the suburbs. And like, so a lot of my influences were were not very indie rock based. Like I was more of a, of a jazz and a classical musician fan. And then I got really, really into earnest singer songwriters and what that scene was in like the, you know, the mid to, to late 90s from the cleaner stuff, you know, of like, you know, even people like Sean Colvin and stuff like that to Elliot Smith and what he was doing. And that is how I made my way into what lo-fi meant and what it meant to be uh, ideally at the same time, goofy and ironic, but also sincere, uh, which was what the whole, the whole thrust of Volcano I'm Still Excited was to achieve goofy earnestness, um, which it it seems um, like, like they're at odds, but actually I think that they are the same thing in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, those are a lot of my influences. And I remember when we came out as a band, you know, Mates of State was on uh, the polyvinyl label and I was thinking, God, I hope I can one day like get to go out on tour with those guys and things like that. And ultimately they, those bands were never our peers because we just weren't popular enough. But 
funny enough that like as soon as I became a filmmaker, I was able to go back to those bands and beg them to allow me to put their songs in my movies and got to be friends with all of them in that way. So it kind of came around full circle. With the type of music then that you're talking about, you had come from guitar uh, and and I think there was a bit of a, a medical thing that went for the reason why you, you switched to, to piano and organ, right? Yeah, yeah. It was really just like um, years of, of stress and intensity and, you know, coming from the place I came from, which was no connections to the music industry, really no business being there. My whole, my whole ethos was like, well, if you're going to make it there, you're going to have to destroy yourself, you know, and that was uh, useful, but not healthy. <laughs> and, uh, and so I ended up developing these repetitive stress injuries and I had to find a new instrument to play. So Volcano, I'm still excited was not only birthed out of so, sort of learning how to pivot from what your initial passion is into, well, if that doesn't work out, what can you do? Which at the time was, oh, I can play this little Casio keyboard that doesn't hurt my arms. And it ended up being like probably the most important life lesson I've learned uh, in terms of creative process, which is like something I always call use the sword in your hand. Like don't dream about the things you want to make when you one day get the money or the skills or the instrument or whatever. Swing whatever you have around you um, and swing it wildly. And, um, and I've really taken that and applied it to my film career. I've applied so much, honestly, to my film career from from indie rock, even down to like when I make deals now to do my shows for HBO and Netflix and things. They're always trying to make deals with me. And I'm like, no, 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 guys, you don't, you, don't worry about it. Look, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in the work. You give us a little bit of cash. We'll split it 50 50. And they're like, what are you what are you talking? Where do you get these deals from? You know, I'm like, it's, it's indie rock. It's polyvinyl. Come on. This is what we did. <laughs> <laughs> do do you remember though when when you switched over when you, when you started playing keys instead how did it automatically change the way you also approached a song the way you would write a song yeah a hundred percent it was a it was a tectonic shift for me because uh, my singer songwriter career was based upon well well I know seven or eight chords and that's good enough um, but ultimately what happens is you you run out of songs because you don't really know the form and so I went to music school at the City College in Harlem and I studied composition and arranging and sort of opened up my purview into all those things that I, I think I sort of implicitly stood, understood as like a fan of, of jazz and classical, but, but I learned those skills. So I was now approaching songwriting by not only using the keyboard, which was a different instrument, but with a whole new set of skills, which it's really interesting as a songwriter when you learn the circle of fifths and you learn and truly understand how music works, there is a, a death of the idiot in you who used to be able to fumble into songs without knowing how. But there is a birth of this person who consistently knows how to get you out of uh, corners and trouble spots because you have all those skills. And so that really that happened to me as I entered the whole volcano realm. And you can hear that in the songs. Uh, uh, Second Gun. I mean, there is so many fun chances that happen with the changes in that. It, yeah. I mean, it feels like that's really the classical side comes in on that. It is. It's a really funky song that like starts out and you're like, OK, here we are. We're in one, four, five. Wait, flat six, flat seven. What we? You know, and it's all these different chords. And and that was me dorking out and flexing my my music school skills because I was so excited about it. And. Byron, who was my guitar player in the band, really helped to identify it. He was, even though we were young, he was much further downstream as a as an artist who understood the creative process uh, than I was at the time. And he really was like, yes, take these big sort of erudite music school ideas that are fancy and hoity-toity 
and let's just trash them with lo-fi instruments and Casios and old kick drums and fuzzy guitars. And that combination will make it really cool. And, and, and I thought that that was ultimately the crack that made whatever Volcano was worth, he found that, you know? Well, it's, it's also got to be a challenge, too, because you're still working in pop constructs to some degree and, and to not mm-hmm. just throw the kitchen sink in with, with stuff that you're learning like that. I mean, at some point you, somebody's got to pull back and it's like, but you still want to sing along to it. Yeah. A hundred percent. So yeah, we would say, okay, here we go. We're going to do a song in rounds here and we're going to steal this thing from Bach. Um, but let's just make the melody three or four notes so that it fits in. And, and yes, there's definitely an element of it to that. And, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but what I love about this Carbon Copy EP is like, it's got the five songs that we initially released, but it's got another five songs, which are demo versions of those songs. So you can really hear us trying to figure out what worked. And I, and I, dare I say, what I love about it is we didn't quite find it on that thing. And um, it makes it just really fun to listen to because, you know, we're, we're bouncing around on the trampoline, but hadn't figured out how to land it yet. <laughs> Still, though, there's some pretty shining moments. Uh, you know, looking back on it now, in in and just from statistical points of view, I mean, it looks like "In Green" was always the bigger song, but but mm-hmm. "New Brad" to me, like "New Brad," I hear it, and that could have been a hit, should have been a hit. Yeah, you know, it's funny you said that because there's this lore around polyvinyl of like we're one of their most underrated bands, and and it's such a bummer that we didn't get more attention and more airplay or what could have happened and and i do think to a certain degree some of those songs like you said in green and new brad they could have maybe there's enough jimmy eat world in there they could have crossed over <laughs> you know um but to me i never i really i never thought that way the fact that we charted at all on college radio blew my mind mm-hmm. the fact that we had a record deal with polyvinyl records as I, I mean, I almost viewed us as like first generation immigrants into the art world where none of our parents did this stuff. We had no idea what we were doing. I had the feeling of I'm just going to get my foot in the door and do as much as I can and hopefully provide opportunity for my kids, which is that that classic mentality. And so I, I never really had any like bad taste in my mouth of, oh, man, we didn't get our due. That could have been bigger. I really was in the place of just like, I can't believe we got this far. <laughs> <laughs> but you did chart on CMJ, and that was before Polyvinyl. How did that happen for you all? I mean, that's... that was so crazy. It was um, it was Daniel Gill, who's a friend of ours. No, Daniel. Who, yeah, so he ran Fanatic Promotion back in the day, and and um, luckily I I knew him through a friend of a friend, and he gave us the down and dirty cheapest rate. And uh, the initial Carbon Copy EP, I mean, we're calling this a re-release, but there basically was no release. We like pressed 500 copies and maybe gave away 490 of them, you know? (laughs) Um, He said, let me send this out to College Radio. I think you got a chance. But he also said, you did yourself a real disservice by just making a sleeve out of it because it's going to disappear in the stacks. You needed that jewel case so they could see it. But he said, you know, but you got two songs on here that might work, so let's try it. And um, and we sent it out, and sure enough, it like it charted, and and he was really instrumental in that. So we we owe him a ton. Yeah, I, I'm just remembering that it was '04, which was the last time I was in a band, and we sent a CD out in a sleeve, and it mm-hmm. got lost, and no it one happened, heard it. <laughs> man, I th- I think Daniel, I think Daniel really helped us. He had a lot of credibility then. People really appreciated his taste. He was. 
I'm, I remember when Daniel was really helping to break Sufjan Stevens out at the same time. Mm. I mean, he was Daniel did a lot for the scene. I'm just realizing that uh, some college kids said, I can only pick one sleeve, and they picked yours instead of mine. Yeah, so that's... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do, do you have a, a sensation, a feeling at all of what the next record could have sounded like? Yeah, you know, I, I do. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. Um, I didn't understand this at the time. I hadn't been to therapy. I didn't understand myself. Not many 26-year-old indie rockers are emotionally evolved in any way. It's part of the process. But but um, I think what happened is, is I ran out of songs for that instrumentation, and we were banging our heads against the wall trying to jam more songs into this thing. But the truth is, you know, with three instruments and what we were doing, you know, we had kind of tapped the best stuff. And so the next record would inherently have involved me realizing this is not going to work here. We're going to have to pivot. We're going to have to find another way to reduce this thing and reinvent ourselves. And I think tonally, in terms of what we were going after, we were we were just scratching the surface of what what that goofy earnestness could have been of how to at once pump your fists uh, with glee while also knowing that you look and sound ridiculous doing it. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't be celebrated anyway. That 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 would have been the cornerstone of the band, and that would have stuck. But I think sonically, it would have been would have had to have changed to to find something new, which was so different than you know the the decade before, where goofy earnestness or pumping your fists at least. I mean, everybody we crossed our arms and we looked at the floor. You know, yes, was, you yeah. were told not to do that. It's um, it's good that you escaped that. I think I was re- I was ready to be like you know loud and proud and and kind of dorky and triumphant and I and it's how I am as a person and I, I I just luckily was able to like find a way to start expressing that in in this band. That's it seems like that has you you have been able to blur those lines through the years and the first thing to come to mind was like animals because there were so many musicians that were a part of that right I mean yeah. The, is that the most obvious example of that, of being able to kind of reach back into the music world for you? It 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 is one of them, but there's there's some new stuff happening, which is um, my show Room 104 that I make for HBO, which is just an anthology series, different stories, different characters every night set in a 400 square foot motel room is born literally out of my indie rock ethos. Like, how do you make something out of nothing, right? And if you make it cheap enough, it doesn't have to be that successful for them to keep giving you another season. That's another, that's another secret. But I started writing musical episodes of that with my composer and my best friend, Julian Wass, who was actually back in the day part of the, a band called Fulchen. And mm-hmm. just um, a really beautiful dude that I love. And, and, and we both have let music go uh, in a lot of ways in our life and have revisited it by writing musical episodes and um so this season of room 104 which airs in july i actually wrote an episode that i wanted mark kozilek to star in because he and i have become friendly and he's like man i can't do this but it was about like a very dark singer songwriter musician who had a hit ep in the early aughts and then he disappears from the scene and nobody knows what happened to him until he shows up at this motel one night and so I ended up writing all five of the songs for the fictional EP and for the show. So that's a good example of me being able to sort of take a a hybrid approach to what I love about narrative film and storytelling, but also kind of incorporate my dormant, if I might use the metaphor, um, musical life. So I got to ask then, if you wrote five of the songs, I mean... I don't know if you were writing in between or whatever, and maybe you were doing it just for fun and maybe you were not a- at all, but but what are those songs like in comparison to what we've known from your past? They're uh, they're different, you know? They, they feel like, like 
and, and as crazy as this sounds, like if uh, they feel like if Sun Kill Moon um, never had an audience um, and uh, was feeling really, really upset about it and also had a very complicated relationship with his mother. That's that's what it would feel like. <laughs> that sounds delightful. Delightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting because in that degree, I mean, you are writing with, I'm guessing you were writing with Kozlek in mind, so it certainly gives you uh, a direction, a trajectory for a song. Yeah, it does. It was sort of a form that I was imagining. And then, um, and you know, look, I, through the years, have been a fan of so many different kinds of, of music. And um, I think that for me to start different bands at this stage in my life in order to play those songs that I'm, I might want to write is really not pragmatic and just doesn't, doesn't really work for me. I have an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old and I like playing Risk and Clue with them at night. I don't want to go on tour. You know, I'm happy at home. <laughs> but this idea that I can visit that world and, and make a character who plays those songs on an episode of TV, it's kind of like making a little musical life um, that is compartmentalized and practical for, you know, a 43-year-old homebody, which is what I am now. <laughs> well, I hope that continues. I mean, I hope this certainly opens a door for you to kind of explore that a little bit more. I think that's uh, Yeah, that's it's really fun. It's really fun to bring it, bring it back. And, uh, you know, we're exploring a lot more different projects that use and combine narrative and, and music. And it's kind of like my two my two loves kind of coming together. I'll quickly tie this back to uh, one of those moments in the past uh, with one of your other shows with the league, certainly where I, you know, first saw you uh, and, and Mr. Lejoie, who's uh, also got his own music thing. Um, just saying you plant a seed. If there's ever a duet to be had in there, I think we'd all be for that, especially after the tease you all put online the other day. Yeah. Well, look, look, John and I are, are really close. We're, we're all still very close. We have dinner like, you know, well, not now, but you know, three or four times a year, we all meet up and talk and, and John has this like amazing career that's happening as a songwriter now, where not only is he making his own music with his project Wolfie's Just Fine, but he's also writing songs for like the Lego movie and stuff. Right. And so he and I actually have talked quite a bit and we always have way, way too many drinks and, <laughs> and promise each other we're going to make some sort of vast musical project together. And we have not yet, but I am I am holding a little heat lamp in the back of my brain for that because I think that... It is something I would like to do. That's awesome. I would love to hear that. Yeah. Just because you mentioned Room 104, this is, the, is this the final season? Is that right? This is the final season of Room 104, and like all final seasons, it's only the final season unless it's a massive success, <laughs> in which case HBO will say, let's do another one. So um, I would love for anybody to make that happen for me. Yeah. Well, you know, with that, so I'll go just against that for a second because, again, best of luck on all that, but... But finality isn't always a given. Like, you don't always get to see that that's something that you can pull off. And, and what I'm trying to do is is smoothly tie this back around to Volcano. I'm still excited because there was something that just sort of had to go away, you know. So when you get those moments, like, I always appreciate those moments when you can see an end goal and you could go, okay, there's the stop. There's the hard stop so I can move to the next thing. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, and I, I like the way you put that where there can be a perceived finality of that, which definitely felt that way when I left Volcano, I'm still excited behind. But as you get older, you start to realize you don't really ever truly leave something behind and it, and it can be a very long life. So yes, it has been 16 years since we have put out a Volcano, I'm still excited record. And, uh, it's been a long time, but I have to say it's sooner than I thought the next one would come out. So it's, it's also, it's also fun. <laughs> 
Well, it's been fun to listen to it, Mark, and, and it's been a lot of fun to talk to you about this, too. Hopefully it's not the last time that we can talk about music in some way or the other. Uh, I would love to do that with you again in the future. Uh, so, you know, keep us updated on uh, on any opportunities for that. Sounds like a plan. also want to give a quick shout-out to the Louisville film scene. There's a lot of great independent filmmakers there gathering up steam. It almost feels like a little baby. Austin and uh, some good leaders in your community. So I uh, just want to encourage everybody there to uh, keep building that thing, and, and we're rooting you on. That's awesome. Thank you. I know a lot of those people out there. I didn't get to bring it up, but you said uh, Volcano played some shows here too, right? Yeah, we played two shows there. They were both amazing shows, which for us means there was more than 13 people there, <laughs> and they were excited to see us. Um, and, you know, we had, already, we had heard that. It wasn't a secret back then in the early aughts that this was – a town in the relative area of the country where you could have a great show where there weren't as many good shows to be had like the Eastern seaboard, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was always a spot that, that we looked forward to and that a lot of other bands felt like this is a bright spot as we're heading through the middle here, to try and find, you know, where the great shows are. It was, it was always a target. Yeah. Well, we're all looking back to looking forward to when we can get back into some of those shows too. That's uh, absolutely on the way. Mark, thank you so much again for taking the time today. It's been a real pleasure. Cheers, Kyle. Talk soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. And my thanks, Mark Duplass, Volcano. I'm still excited. The re-release or a first official release, whatever you want to call it. Do check that out. Thanks to Mark and thanks to you for checking out this episode. Again, if you're not already a subscriber and you dug what you heard on this uh, on this edition right here, I do hope you hit that subscribe button. Again, you can find us at any of the major spots like iTunes and Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, uh, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts from. Just type in Kyle Meredith with... We'll send you new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday so you can keep up with your favorite artists and discover new ones and know what's happening in the music world as well. And then after that, head to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres and music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews as well. Again, that's WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound, they've got your music and film news. You can also find me on any of the major social media spots, at Kyle Meredith. Hope you uh, follow and like in the appropriate uh, spots there as well. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. But I like knowing that you're in the closet looking <laughs> like that. I'm very happy now that we have this connection. So now that we've done that. Let's kick ass, Kyle. Right. Come on. Let's do it. <laughs> it's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.